Kids, you guys are dismissed. Those of you are still in here. Youth group, I think you guys are heading out. I'm not sure if you are. Yep. Youth group, you guys can head on out. Hey, God bless you guys. It's good to have you here this morning. It's always a blessing to watch our children worship God. Amen? It's a blessing. Thanks to uh, all of you who work with the kids. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, and we will absolutely loan you one. If you need to, you can take it home with you as uh, your gift from us. So please, again, raise your hand. And if you don't, uh, if you do have your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. All right. Well, let's open with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You and we praise You for Your Word. And Lord, we do ask that You would bless this time in Your Word this morning. Father, that You would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what Your Spirit would say to us this morning. Father, we ask that, Lord, that during this Christmas season, again, that we would really understand the the meaning behind it, that You are the reason for this season, that You loved us so much. You sent your son to die, that he'd rather die than live without us. So Lord, we ask that you would inhabit this time. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, let me catch you guys up really quickly. I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but Corinthians was a letter written to the people in Corinth, to the church specifically in Corinth. Corinth was a really wicked and vile city. Corinth was a city that had turned its back completely on God. It was filled with idol worship. It was a very wealthy city. But it was a city that had very little semblance of any reminder or any remembrance of anything godly. It was filled with with, uh, temples to the goddess Diana. And it was a place where temple prostitution went on. And it was a place where God, again, was not looked upon. And sadly, what had happened was that, that Paul had planted a church there five years earlier. And when he planted the church, they were doing wonderful. They were serving God. They were filled with all the spiritual gifts. But some time went by, and he got a letter that, that from Chloe's house, or word from Chloe's house, saying, hey, the children of God in Corinth have turned their back on him. They're beginning to be divided. They're fighting with each other. They're becoming more and more like the city. Instead of having an impact on the city, they were becoming like it. And so sadly... Paul writes this letter from a broken heart, no doubt, exhorting his sheep, his children, in a sense, in the faith, and he's encouraging them to get their eyes back on God. And in the first 12 chapters or so, he had had a response, uh, he was responding to reports of immorality and compromise, pagan idol worship, they're being drawn away into philosophy, they were disputing and suing each other, again, having very little testimony, very little impact on the world around them. We got to chapter 7, he began to answer questions that had been written to him by the church themselves. He answered questions that they had about marriage, questions that they had about Christian liberty, whether it was okay for them to eat meat, sacrifice to idols or not. And Paul wrote them back and said, look, you have liberty in Christ, but you are to never do anything to use your liberty that's going to cause somebody else to stumble. Then the last couple of chapters, we've been looking at the body of Christ itself. And how he wrote back to them that God had a divine plan and order for the church. That they were to be submitted to the Lord and that they were to be submitted in their homes. That God has a plan for husband and wife and children. And again, if you want to grab the tape, I'd encourage you to do that. And then we got to chapter 12, we started to look at spiritual gifts. And I want to say this morning, if you're here this morning, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, he, you're not only born again and you're going to heaven and praise God for that, 
but he's also given you spiritual gifts and he wants you to use them for his glory. As you've heard me say many times, we're not called to be pew potatoes. Amen? We're not called to be the biggest, fattest sheep in town. He saved us to use us for his glory. The Dead Sea is dead because it has an inlet and no outlet. And too many Christians are living dead spiritual lives because they're fed from the Word of God, but they do nothing with it that impacts the world around them. And so we talked about the body of Christ and how we're all indwelt by the same Spirit, that we're one in the Lord, and it's so important that we come together in fellowship. Whether it's here in this local church or another church where you fellowship, but being in a place where you're being fed, being in a place where you're growing spiritually, being in a place where you're using the gifts that God has given you for His glory. And so we saw over the last two weeks, looking at the body of Christ, that He told the believers that they were not to be puffed up because of their gifts. Guys were getting arrogant because God had blessed them. Let me tell you something right now. Anything you have, God gave to you. And He alone should be glorified because of it. Amen? Now you might say, well, I worked really hard for that. You know, Pastor Dave, you don't understand. I worked, I worked 80 hours a week and I slaved. God gave you the ability to work. Amen? And so He alone should be glorified. And again, it's okay to have possessions as long as they don't possess you. As long as there are things that are in your hand that you use for God's glory. And the reality is all of us in this room are very rich by the world's standards. And we need to be faithful to use what we have that God might be glorified. And as opposed to trying to store up riches. Because when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. And we talked about the reason that we come together is that, again, a lot of people think you come to church because it's a religious duty. I mean, I grew up in a church where you've got to go every week, so if I don't show up every once in a while, I might be in trouble later. You know, I might stand before God on Judgment Day and He's going to say, you know, I didn't see you for a while. And so the reality is we don't come to score brownie points with God, and we don't come out of religious duty because if you're coming for that reason, you've missed it completely. Because it's about having a relationship with God. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship. It's not about coming to do things so that, you can, so that God will love you more. You can't do anything to make God love you more than He does already. We come to church on Sunday to use the gifts God has given us and for us to grow spiritually in our walk with the Lord. And so that's what he was talking to them about in chapter 12. And he was encouraging them to, again, be one in Christ. Encouraging them to be in a place where they worshipped and they came together and used the gifts that God had given them. And then the last verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Hey, uh, could somebody bring me up? I left my water over there. That would be great. He talked to them about while they were very spiritually arrogant about the gifts that they had and how it was causing division in the body... Paul tells them that even though they had gifts, that they were not to allow those gifts or abuse those gifts in such a way that would cause others to stumble. And it didn't mean that they should not pursue the gifts at all. Because look at the last verse there, verse 31. He says, But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. So after telling them, don't get puffed up in your gifts, and don't think you're somebody more special than somebody else because you've been given a spiritual gift, But then he turns around and says, but you know what, I still want you to pursue the gifts. I still want you to desire to have all that God has for you. In 1 Timothy, he says, if you desire the position of a bishop or an elder or a pastor, you desire a good thing. And if you desire to be used by God, that's a prayer that he'll answer every single time. And we desire the best gifts, but we're not to be arrogant because we have them. Because God alone should be glorified. But look what he says here. And then we're going to look at chapter 13. And yet I show you a more excellent way. 
They've been bickering, and they've been fighting, and they've been arrogant, and they've had attitudes towards each other. And sadly, some even, those, there were those who were arrogant, and there were those who were ashamed because they didn't have the gifts that others had. And he says to them, look, I want to explain to you a more excellent way. And what we're going to talk about in chapter 13 is we're going to talk about the love of God. And we're going to talk about the way of love, how to live a life filled with the love of God. God is so much more concerned about your inward heart than your outward actions that they don't even compare. We think that God wants to see how much stuff we can do for Him. Do you know that God doesn't need you? Did you know that? How many of us were there on on the first day of creation? How many of us were there when He put the stars in the sky? Did He need our help? Absolutely not. He can do it without us, amen? But He chooses to use us to allow us to be a part of what He does, again, as a blessing to us. And he's encouraging them and letting the people in Corinth know that he's much more concerned about their heart than their outward actions. It isn't just that we use the gifts God has given us, but that our actions come from hearts of love. You know, I I used to explain this to my kids all the time when I was a youth pastor. I used to say there's a difference between honoring and obeying. Obeying means go clean your room. Oh, right. Oh, go. Right. Ever seen that before? Parents, right? Now, is that honoring you, right? Now, they went and did exactly what they were told, but is that honoring mother and father? And you know what? It's sometimes we're that way with God. God says, I don't want you to do this. Okay, all right, you're God. You make the rules, fine, right? And we get this thing where instead of having a joyous heart and realizing how much God loves us and realizing that he's not a no-fun bummer God trying to keep us from having fun, but he's a loving, gracious, and merciful God who is leading us into that, to the most fruitful life we can possibly have and will simply honor and obey him. So it's not just obeying God with, oh, man, I can't believe I can't do that, right? Oh, man, I, why did I read that verse? No, I can't do that anymore, right? I've had people tell me that. I don't read my Bible. Why? Because I'm going to find out stuff I can't do anymore. So I'm just not going to read it. I'll be ignorant, right? If you're driving 90 and the speed limit is 25, it's a ticket even if you don't see the sign. Amen? And the same is true in our walk with the Lord. Even if you don't read God's Word, there's still going to be harm that comes your way when you walk in direct disobedience to the Word of God. And so he's encouraging them about the way of love. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. is not just obeying the Lord, but honoring Him and having a heart submitted to Him. Happily whistling, not stump, stomping our feet, or rebelling, or refusing to obey, but doing it with a heart that honors the Lord. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest of all the commandments, what did he say? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? Love the Lord your God. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And the focus again this morning is all about loving God from our hearts, loving our neighbors from our hearts, using our gifts from a heart of love. And before we can do that, we must first understand what biblical love is. Now, I believe this. I believe that love is the most misunderstood word in the English language. I think most people have no idea what that word means. And we'll talk about it as we get into the text in a moment. But again, you hear these verses we're about to read. All of you have heard them many times. It's probably the most quoted chapter at any wedding you're ever going to go to. It's called the love chapter. It talks about the love of God. talks about what love is and what love isn't. 
But I want us to all walk out of here. My heart would be that we would understand what agape love, what the love of God really is. And it's as we examine this chapter, we'll find out, first, just how important biblical love is in the life of a believer. Second, what true biblical love really is and what it isn't. And then thirdly, how long this real love lasts. So first, we're going to find out how important that love really is to our lives. What exactly is the love of God, and how long does it last? So let's begin in verse 1, talking about just how important the love of God is in your life, and how significant it ought to be in your day-to-day walk with the Lord. He says, Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Now, last chapter, he was talking about how arrogant people were getting because they had spiritual gifts. There are even those today that will tell you if you don't have the gift of tongues, you're not going to heaven. Because that's the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Well, they better read the Bible. Because Paul later would say it's the least of the gifts. Now, is it a gift for today? Absolutely. Is it a gift that we should desire? Without question. Is it a gift that we will all have? No. Paul would later again say it's the least of the gifts. And he says, look, even some of them walked around in Corinth going, I have the gift of tongues. And they would stand on the street corner and speak in tongues so everybody could hear that they had this wonderful gift. And they were arrogant about their gift. Remember, too, there's a side note, that whenever tongues is used in a church, it's only done one at a time. It's done decently and in order because the Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. The Holy Spirit's not going to interrupt himself. If the Holy Spirit's teaching, the Holy Spirit's not going to get up and start talking at the same... He doesn't do that. So that's not God. If you go into a church and 800 people start speaking in tongues all at the same time, that is not biblical. Okay, it's just not. And you can look at Scripture and we can look at... But he said they walk around speaking in tongues and they were arrogant about their spiritual gift. God had given it to them. They should be glorifying Him. But look what he says there. Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels. It's important to note that there are two different types of tongues. In Acts chapter 2, when tongues first came into existence, it just means languages, right? The word is dialectos in Acts chapter 2. And what happened was that they were all waiting in the upper room after Jesus had gone, ascended back into heaven, and he said, I'm going to send a helper who's going to give you power and boldness to witness, right? You shall receive power from on high when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So they were waiting up in the upper room, 120 of them. The Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began to speak in other languages. And there was a a, a rushing sound of thunder. And when the people heard it, they all ran in to see what was going on. And all the people that came in that were from all over the world all heard the gospel in their own language. So what God did is He supernaturally allowed every language to be spoken so that everybody could hear the gospel. That's the gift of tongues in one case. That's one way that gift can be made manifest. You know, I've actually been somewhere and seen this happen where I saw somebody, again, who had never spoke a word of Chinese in his life, and he was trying to witness to somebody, and all of a sudden he just started speaking in Chinese. And I knew the guy. I'm like, dude, when did you take Chinese, right? He never had, and he's speaking in Chinese. And he he said, you know, it's weird. I knew what I was saying. And then he shared with the guy, and the guy responded back, and he ends up leading the guy to the Lord, and whoa, right? That's pretty radical. Now, that's the gift of tongues with a known language. Now, the other gift of tongues is a prayer language. Notice it says here, whether it be tongues of men or of angels. 
There's tongues of men, known dialects, and God can give you the ability to speak in a language you've never studied before. Or tongues of angels. Now, I believe that this most often is a prayer language. It's where God gives you an utterance that you can't even understand. It comes from the depths of your heart, and the Holy Spirit is speaking through your mouth to the Lord. And it's a form of worship, and it's a form of intercession, and it's, a, it's an unknown language to us. It can also happen, again, as I mentioned before, in a believer's meeting, but there will always be an interpretation. If there's no interpretation, it's not from God, because God's not going to get up and have someone speak in an unknown language and then never tell us what it means. That's not how God works. He doesn't function that way. Amen? But he says, now look at this. Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, is that a gift? What's the answer? Absolutely. And God's the one who gives it, but notice what it says. Even if I have that gift, if I have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Here's the thing. We can have gifts, but if we don't have love, it's just noise. And what he's saying here is, I've got, they had this gift and they were arrogant about it, and they loved showing off their gift, and as they showed off their gift, because they didn't have love, all they were doing was making a whole lot of noise. The same is true for us today. Whatever gift God has given us, if we're using it, but we don't have love as being the central focus, then all we're doing is making a whole lot of noise. We're not honoring God. We're honoring ourselves, we're stealing His glory, and we're making a whole lot of noise. In Galatians 5.22, it says, And the fruit of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit, or the fruit of the Spirit is, what's the first word? Love. And the rest of the words describe that love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness. So love is fruit of the Spirit. It's not a gift of the Spirit. Because we don't have all the gifts. We talked about this last week. No one person has every spiritual gift. God created us that way so we would need each other. I have gifts you don't, and you have gifts that I don't. That's why we need to be in fellowship. You have gifts that you can use to minister to me, and I have gifts that I can use to minister to you. And that's why when you don't show up at church, the body suffers. And if I don't show up, the body suffers because there's something missing. If everybody's an eye, where's the hearing going to be? We talked about this last week. Now, he says to them that this is a, it's a fruit, this love. It's not a gift, or only some of us would have it. So it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That means that if you're a born-again believer, you've got that supernatural love within you. Now, that needs to be the motivation for the gifts that you use. It must begin with love. Again, if it was a gift, only some would have it. Now, one of the things that is really difficult about our language, English, is we have one word for love. And I can say, I love my wife, I love my kids, I love my car, I love tacos, I love playing softball, and up until recently, I used to love the Niners, okay? Right? Now, we use that same word, and those loves better be a little different. Or my wife's going to be real mad at me if she's on the same plane with tacos, right? And so we got this one word for love that we use, and because it is so overused, I believe the meaning behind it has been totally diminished, and I don't believe we fully grasp what the word love really means. So I want to talk to you about that as we move on, because... Greek, they have, in the Greek, in the Bible, there's four words for love. The first word for love is 
storge, S-T-O-R-G-I. It means affection, like the love you have for your pet. Again, some of you might act like you love your pets more than your wife, but you better not. Amen? I've seen some of you guys with your dogs. You need to slow down, all right? Okay? But here's the thing. Love your animal. The Bible says a righteous man cares for his animal, and you should do that. But the animal's not in competition with your wife. Now, that's one word. That's affection. That's like, I love my pet. I love, you know, again, not the same level as the love we're going to talk about. Now, another love, another word for love is eros, E-R-O-S, or Aaron is another way it's conjugated. And it's simply, it's where we get the word erotic. And it's a physical love, and I think the better word for it would be lust. And a lot of people think they're in love when they're just in heat. Okay? Oh, man, I love her. Really? How long have you known her? I haven't talked to her yet, but I saw her on campus, and I'm telling you, I'm in love. No, you're not, dude. You're in heat. Slow down, right? And we often mix up, you know, this Aaron love, and we think that that's, it's not love. Because here's what Aaron is, or Eros. It is selfish love. Its whole focus is, what can you do for me? How can you bless me? How can you minister to me? How can you take care of my needs? And as soon as you stop taking care of me, I'm moving on to the next one. And the reality is that that's what a lot of relationships are built on. It's all Aaron. That's why people say, well, I fell out of love. Well, we're going to talk about that in a minute. Fell out of love. Love is not an emotion, it's a choice. Amen? And what you're saying is, I choose not to love you anymore because I found someone cuter or with more money or whatever the, the case may be, right? And so what happens is this Aaron's selfish love of what can you do for me, what can you do for me, you get two people like that in a relationship, the other person's trying to get from the other person, they're just doing this the whole time. How can you get, that's not going to last very long, is it? It's going to be, a, that's why the divorce rate in our country is so high. The third word for love it's phileo. It's where you get the word Philadelphia. And it's a brotherly love. It's a you be nice to me, I'll be nice to you kind of love. I love that guy. He always does nice things for me, so I, I do nice things back. Right? So you've got the love, you, an affection you have for a pet. You've got the love that you have, you know, or the lust that you have that is based on the physical. Then you've got the brotherly love. But lastly, the word that the Lord uses when he talks about love is agape. And agape, where Aaron is a selfish love, what can you do for me? What can you do for me? How can I take from you? Agape is a selfless love. It's how can I bless you? How can I minister to you? How can I serve you? How can I lay down my life for you? And it's a love that doesn't change. It's a love that never stops. It's a love that's without conditions. An easy way to remember this is Aaron is the love a newborn baby has for its mom. Now, some of the moms are going to get mad at me, but it's reality. When that baby was born, he or she was not thinking about you. I'm hungry. I don't care if it's 2.30. Ah, right? (laughs) Feed me, right? You've been sleeping 45 minutes? That's enough, because it's all about me, right? (laughs) So get up, change my diaper, and bring me some food. Oh, you better go to the store and get some formula then if we're all out, because I'm not going to stop screaming until you get over here and take care of me. That's Aaron love. The love that a baby has, a newborn baby has for its mother. It's all about me. Totally focused on me. Now, agape, a good way to describe it is the love that a mother has for its newborn child. When the baby cries at 2.30, the mom doesn't care if she's had 10 minutes worth of sleep. She's going to jump out of bed and go minister to the child. Why? Because it's all about the baby. It's not about me. 
It's a selfless love as opposed to a selfish love. And so he says here in this verse, Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but have not agape, not Aaron, not phileo, agape. It doesn't mean I just have, quote, love or feelings. It's a selfless love. And if I don't have a selfless love, then I become like a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. I just make a bunch of noise. You know what? Let me say this too, if you're here. The Bible tells you not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, right? Some of you are squirming in your seat right now because you brought your own, and I'm, God bless you, I'm glad you're here, all right? But here's the thing. Unbelievers can have storge. Unbelievers can have phileo. Unbelievers can have Aaron, But unbelievers cannot have agape. Why? Because agape is fruit of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22 says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is agape. And so if you enter into a relationship with an unbeliever, you're going to get Aaron from them, and you're going to be giving them agape. And you're going to be very frustrated when you're in a relationship with someone says, what can you do for me, what can you do for me, what can you do for me, and you're, in a, and you're over here going, what can I do for you, what can I do for you, what can I do for you? You know what? You're going to be frustrated. You're going to have somebody who can't be the spiritual leader in, a, in your relationship. You're going to have somebody who's totally selfish. And you know what? It won't work. That's why God says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Does God know what he's talking about? Does he love you? And you know what? Amazingly enough, probably the number one thing people try to, to work around is that very thing. I can't tell you people come into counseling with me and say, yeah, but Pastor Dave, but he, he's just so nice. He's a guy. And he wants to be with you. He'll be a Mormon if you want him to be. He'll be whatever you want. Oh, you like sushi? Me too. Is that not true, guys, or what? Whatever you like. So, oh, yeah, she's fine. What do you like? Sure, yeah. I, yeah, I love to go to antique shops. This is great. I'll go with you, right? I'm all about that. You know, guys are liars. They're liars. And so the thing is, you get this guy with Aaron Love who's got one motive. What can you do for me? What can you do for me? And these girls are going, oh, man, but he's so nice, and he just got a nice car, and brings me flowers, right? Instead of saying, what does the Bible say? What does the Lord say? What does the Word of God say? And you know what happens? You end up running off and getting married to the guy, and then you're in my office three days later going, what have I done? Because now he's, got, he's, he's in. He got the contract signed. Now it's, what can you do for me? What, for the next 50 years, what can you do for me? Right? Can I encourage you? Don't settle for less than God's highest. Amen? And he says here, if you don't have agape, you're just making noise. And you're going to be married to somebody who's doing nothing but making noise. If you don't wait for the one God has for you. John 3.16 says, For God so agape the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Here's the thing. He agape us. He selflessly loves us. And God's design and plan is that we would selflessly love him back. Amen? For God so agape the world. And notice that when he agape, he gave. He so agape the world that he gave. Agape produces an action. If we truly have agape, we're going to have a heart overflowing with the love of God, and it's going to produce an action in our lives. We won't just sit at home with you know, the overflowing love, but we'll want to reach out to the world, want to minister to people, and we won't be quiet about our faith. I read this little story. I found it interesting. In 1647, during England's Civil War, 
a deserter in Cromwell's army was captured and brought before him. And he said to him, when the curfew bell sounds, tonight you're going to be executed. So the general told him. But that night when the curfew bell was supposed to sound, it was never heard. And when they investigated, they found out that his fiancée found out that he was going to die when the bell sounded. So she quickly ran up until where the bell was, and when it was time for it to ring, she got inside the bell. So that instead of, the, of it hitting the side of the bell, it was hitting her body instead. And as they pulled on the rope, it just slammed into her repeatedly. And so finally they went and brought this woman before the general. And when he saw her battered and tore up body, how the clapper had hit her over and over again. He was so touched, touched by her love for this soldier that he spared his life. Greater agape has no man than this that he lay down his life for a friend. Jesus Christ didn't go into a bell tower for us. He went to the cross. Amen? And he suffered and died and paid the price that you and I could not pay. For God so agape the world that he gave his only begotten son. Agape always comes with sacrifice. And you know what? We don't like to do that. We're very self-centered by nature. I'm always on my mind. How about you? Amen? I'm always thinking about me. This whole thing that, oh, we don't esteem ourselves enough. That's the biggest lie going. We esteem ourselves way too stinking much. Amen? Stuff happens, how does that impact me? Right? I mean, if, it, if it's good, then I like it. I I mean, I've used this illustration before. I can tell that you're all self-centered, and I can prove it. If I took a picture of you guys right now and handed out the photo, when it got to you, whose picture would you look for first? Right? And if you look good, it's a good picture. Oh, man, this is sweet. We got to get some copies of this, right? Everybody else can be, ah, but you're looking good. Oh, man, this is sweet. Now, if everybody else looks perfect and you look goofy, you're yawning, or ah, right? You're going to be like, this is weak, right? Because we are so centered on ourselves. Agape says esteeming someone outside of ourselves, greater than ourselves, is so contrary to our nature. It's so contrary to our flesh. But we live in our flesh, we're just making noise. We're having no impact on the world. Verse 2. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not agape, I am nothing. Now, he goes back again to some of the gifts he just talked about in the previous chapter. Prophecy is the foretelling or the foretelling of truth. The word of wisdom is understanding all mysteries. Again, we talked about this. How you'll be talking to somebody... And they'll just have the right answer for your situation. They, don't even bar- they barely know you maybe. And they just go, man, bro, here's what I think you ought to do. And you're like, whoa, that's the Lord. That's the word of wisdom. Word of knowledge is when you have knowledge you never could have had uh, except God showed it to you. I've had this happen to me several times. Where someone's come up and shared something with me. And I'm like, how in the world did he know that? It's because God showed him. But he said, you know what? You can have the word of knowledge. You can have the word of wisdom. And you can even have enough faith to move a mountain into the ocean. But if you don't have love, you have nothing. Remember, he talked about faith. Jesus said, if you have faith of a mustard seed, you can tell a mountain to go into the ocean and it will obey you. And you know what? We can have great faith. We can have the kind of, that kind of faith. But if there's no love behind it, the Bible says it's nothing. What he's telling us very clearly, you guys, is the most important gift. It's not really a gift, but the most important thing that we ought to have is love. They shall know us by the, what? 
The love that we have one for another, and again the word is agape. They shall know us by the agape we have one for another. The selfless love, the laying down our lives for each other, not because we have to, but because we want to. This gift of faith that he's talking about, it's where you're, you're able to do things against all odds. Peter walking on water, the woman with the issue of blood, David fighting Goliath. And again, these are great and awesome acts of faith, but if there's no love, it's of no value. Can I tell you something that grieves me almost more than anything? Is when I see somebody who calls himself a Christian, and they're self-righteous, and they're just blasting people. You ever seen that? I, I, I went to a Sharks game one time, and I'm walking there, and everybody, I'm with some people from my office, and I'm walking there, it's back when I was still working, and this guy's standing on a box just screaming, you're going to fry in hell! That's effective. Lots of people turn to the Lord that evening, right? There's a whole lot. Dude, you're a, you're a clanging cymbal. You're doing nothing but making noise over there. Why? Because there's no love. Truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. That's why we must speak the truth in love. Amen? If you've ever seen our six-word motto for this church, it's preach the word and what? Love the people. Because those two things must be evident in the body of Christ. We must teach the word of God and we must agape the people at the same time. Paul tells the Galatians that faith comes through love. James and John didn't have, they had faith, but they didn't have love. In Luke 9, the Samaritans weren't listening. You know what they said to the Lord? You know what, Lord? Let's just call down some fire and smoke them all. I think that's what we ought to do. Now, did they have faith that they could call fire down? Yeah. Is there any love involved there? I don't think so, right? Again, they shall know us by the love we have one for another. And it requires that we sacrifice something, that we give something away. It's interesting, the word agape is where we get the word agony. It's denying ourselves for the sake of another. And it's so foreign to the self-seeking, self-centered world that we live in that it has to be supernatural work of God to get our hearts there. Verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Even if I give away all my stuff, if there's no love, it profits me nothing. You know, a lot of people have the misconception that giving stuff away automatically earns brownie points with God somehow. Now, I want to make it real clear. We should give. Amen? And if we have extra, we should minister to those who have less. Because all the stuff belongs to the Lord. But I want to make it real clear, too. If you're just giving stuff away but you're not sharing with people the real truth of the love of God, what have you really given them? You know, again, we don't, you know, going down to Mexico and building a house is fine as long as you're sharing the gospel with the people you're building the house for. But if you build them a house and leave them some food and come home, what have you given them? You've given them a temporal gift and you haven't shared with them the hope of eternity that lies within you. And he says, even if you give all your stuff away, but you don't have love, it profits you nothing. And then he says, even if you're willing to have your body burned, if you're martyred, if you're so strong in your faith for God that you just won't back down no matter what. They come and they bring machine guns. We're going to kill you if you don't. St- I don't care. I stand for God. I stand for God. That's my heart. I won't, I won't relent no matter what. But if there's no love, even if they kill you, what does it profit you? It says there, it profits you nothing. Some early Christians were so arrogant that they thought if they were killed that it would wash away their sin. Does that sound familiar? These guys that flew into the 
towers, the twin towers, these Muslims, right? What did they think? They thought that they were doing God's work, and they thought they were going to inherit great... They, they all thought they were going to have 70 virgins and all these mansions. Well, guess what? They hit the tower and rude awakening, right? In moments, they were standing before Almighty God. And swift judgment came because they thought by martyring themselves, they were going to earn God's favor. You know what? We can't martyr, be martyred for ourselves because you and I are sinners, and a sinner can't pay for his own sin. Amen? That's why Jesus came, because he's perfect holy God who never sinned. And only sinless holy God could take our sin upon himself. We can't pay for it ourselves. And he says there, even if, again, I have my body burned, if I don't have love, it profits me nothing. And again, you see so many people zealous for their faith, but there's no love. Sacrifice must be accompanied by love. Not a joyless, loveless, suffering, enduring, woe is me. Met people like this? Right? You know the black robe with the wheelbarrow full of rules? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Right? I've met these people. Right? Every three steps. Got to hit myself on the board. Right? Prove to God that I'm just, you know. And they, they walk around. They just know joy. And, and that's what's funny is sometimes they'll come and they'll attack me and say, you know, Pastor Dave, we need, to, we need to have more, you know, we need to suffer more. Dude, what Bible are you reading? He says he, he came that we might have life and life what? More abundant. He suffered that we might have eternal life. Amen? And we shouldn't walk around as Christians looking like we've been sucking on lemons. Amen? The fruit of the Holy Spirit is joy. People are really going to want what you have. You want, oh, yeah, man, born again. Yeah, that's me. Born to heaven. Oh, yeah. Got to suffer for 50 years, but I get heaven at the end, right? No. We have joy now. Amen? We have that love of God now. We have agape now. We have abundant life now. And sadly, too many people walk around with this. You know, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Amen? Not a big old heavy sack of rocks on your back. Understand that coming to the Lord frees you, removes your sin, and allows you to walk in, in a joyous life before Almighty God. How important is biblical love in the life of a believer? Without it, your life will be fruitless and it will profit nothing. Guys, instead of pursuing gifts, pursue God. Amen? You just fall in love with the Lord and just pursue Him with your whole heart and make Him the passion of your life. And you know what's going to happen? That love's going to flow out of you and He's going to give you the desire what, to do what He's called you to do. And it's going to be a get to and not a have to. He's not a no fun bummer God. Go into in the children's ministry, you'll be like, I can't believe I get to do that. It's my turn. Right? I can't wait. Why? Because I'm so in love with the Lord. He's touched my heart and I can't wait to go minister to those kids. That's the difference between a get-to and a have-to, between doing things out of love for God instead of pursuing the gift itself. Pursue God, and He'll show you what gifts He has for you. Pursue the giver of the gifts. Fall in love with the Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Now, what is true biblical love? Look at, look at the next four verses here. What is true biblical love? It's very different than the love of the world. It says in verse 4, Agape, or love, suffers long. True love is always demonstrated by actions. And agape is patient with people. Anybody struggle with that? Right? Patient with people. 
Well, man, I got the get out of hell free card. It's in my wallet. I walked the aisle. I got to be patient with people now, too. Isn't the price paid? Haven't I done enough? Right? I got to be patient with the irritating guy that sits next to me. I got to be patient with the person with 47 items in the 10 item or less line who's writing a check. <laughs> right? I got to be patient. And the reality is, it says, love suffers long is patient with people, their irritations, their ignorance, their weakness. The world, does the world suffer long? No. I've seen people go ballistic over nothing. It just blows your mind. Dude, slow down, relax, it's okay, right? We're going to get out of this, right? And literally, I remember being in line, and the guy behind me was so mad at the grocery store that he was just beside himself. He took his cart and turned it over and threw all the food on the ground. Because the lady was trying to write a check and she wasn't supposed to and she couldn't find her ID and she didn't want to give him her driver's license number. And I'm getting frustrated. I'm like, Lord, help. Just help me pray for this woman. I can't take it. This guy's like, what is she doing? Right? He's just getting madder and madder by the minute. The world is short-tempered. We're supposed to suffer long. It's a testimony to the transforming work of the Holy Spirit when we suffer long. Amen? Some of you are thinking, I'm in a metal chair suffering long right now. No, but... <laughs> But the world is short-tempered. It doesn't put up with stuff for long. In 2 Peter 3, 9, Jesus is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Aren't you glad that the Lord suffers long with you? Amen? I'm so glad, thank you, Lord, that you suffer long with Dave. Because if you didn't, I'd have been a pile of rocks a long time ago. I've been toads or lice or something, right? I'd have been smoked, but God suffers long with me. Later, Jesus said to forgive 70 times 7. Forgiving until you lose track of how many times you've forgiven somebody. Love, agape, suffers long. The biblical definition of love. It says, and is kind. The word there for kind is gracious and inviting to, in the way that they handle people. Even to those who are unkind and unthankful toward them. It says gracious and loving things to others. Doesn't cut people down. Doesn't complain. Isn't sarcastic. Isn't tearing people down. Now, that's agape. Now, how many of you struggle with that sometimes? Bagging on other people, right? Especially when it's funny. It's just too, I gotta say it, right? You ever done that? Holy Spirit's going, don't do it. And you just, but people are gonna laugh, <laughs> right? Am I the only one? All right, okay. So we see here that agape is kind. Agape is caring and loving, not cutting and complaining and sarcastic and tearing others down. It says there, so we know that, it's, that it suffers long and is kind, but it says agape does not envy. The word for envy means is made unhappy by the good fortune of another. The Bible says weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. When I was back in sales, when you sold a lot, it impacted other people. So when you sold a lot, they didn't like it. I used to say, in my job, it's weep with those who rejoice and rejoice with those who weep. Oh, you took a full page ad out of the book. Oh, that's too bad. Right? High-fiving their friends. Did you hear what happened? He took a big ad out. Right? Because what happens is, if someone else isn't doing well, it makes you look good. But he says, don't envy. Agape doesn't envy. Agape doesn't look at someone else who's blessed and say, man, how come I'm not blessed? Agape says, man, that's great. 
God bless you. That's wonderful. I'm happy for you. I really am. I'm blessed that you're being, being blessed the way that you are. Agape delights in the welfare and the blessings of another. Is envy a big deal? Yeah. The first murder, Cain killed Abel. Why? Because he was envious of his offering before God and that it was accepted and his wasn't. Why did, they, why did Joseph's brothers throw him into a pit and then sell him into slavery? Because they were envious of him. Why did Eve eat of the fruit in the garden? Because she was envious of God's position. You'll be like God, right? So envy is something we must be careful about. And he says here, agape does not envy. Agape does not parade itself and is not puffed up. Now, can I tell you something? The thing that we hate most in others, but that we all probably, we all do struggle with at least to a certain degree is pride. Don't you hate pride when you see it in other people? Doesn't it just make you sick? Like, dude, get over yourself already, right? I mean... What cracks me up, you know, I played football in college. Cracks me up, a guy would, you know, a guy catches a pass, makes a yard, right? Gets tackled and gets up and starts plumping his chest, takes his helmet off, right? Don't you hate that? I'm like, dude, sit down, right? And you hate it when you see it in others, but yet we all struggle with it. Because you know what? All sin originates with pride. Envy originates with pride. Oh, I'm better than that. How come that person gets it and I don't? Lust originates with pride. Oh, I should have that for me, right? Jealousy, pride, it all originates with pride. And he says, agape is not puffed up. It doesn't parade itself. It's not self-promoting. It doesn't brag about its accomplishments. It points people to Christ, not to themselves. It isn't puffed up. The word there is arrogant or prideful. He isn't prideful of his learning, of his eloquence, of his, of his or her wi- wisdom or gifting. Instead, we should be humble and desperate for God. Because again, we are just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. And we have nothing to be arrogant about. And so he says, agape isn't arrogant. Agape isn't prideful. Agape, verse 5, does not behave rudely. Agape isn't rude. It's not short, sassy are willingly offensive. It's polite, gracious, and kind. Agape doesn't seek its own. It gives preference to somebody else. It's unselfish. Let each of you, it says in Philippians, not look at only his own interests, but for the interests of others. Not my will, but thy will be done. So, as Christians, we should not be rude. And I've seen people that, that are very rude, and they're Christians. And they, you know, they demand things. Should we be demanding anything? You know, I've never sent a meal back in a restaurant. And, and I kind of a, I, I had one guy I worked with, he would send his meal back every time. Every time, I'm like, dude, you're rude, man. You're killing me. Well, it's got to be perfect. Why? Why has it got to be perfect, man? We're, you know, we're Baker Square. We're not, you know, this isn't a five-star restaurant, man. Well, you know, it's just not cooked in the thing. And, oh, stop it already, right? Get over yourself, right? But what happens is just getting rude and treating the waitress bad. I'm like, bro, you're supposed to be salt and light. I pay good money. Whose money is it? Well, that'd be God's, right? Oh, yeah, it's God's money. So you're using God's money and complaining. You should be loving on this woman and tipping her big and telling her about Jesus, not complaining because the lima beans are on your plate or whatever, right? And sadly, he's saying the same thing. Don't be rude as Christians. Be loving, be kind. Does not seek its own. Again, isn't pursuing its own welfare, but the welfare of others. Is not provoked. I can tell you that 
I know several of you, and several of you have known me a long time, and I remember when you used to get provoked easily, and you remember when I used to. You know, a young man is very easily provoked usually. Walks around with a chip on his shoulder 24 hours a day. Who are you looking at? Ever said that before? Guys? Maybe you haven't. I have to confess I have. You look, I know you're not looking at me, right? And there's this chip on your shoulder, and you walk around with arrogance, and you walk around with this attitude, and you walk around easily provoked. But you know what? As we continue to grow in our faith with the Lord, it should get to the point where that goes away. I knew that God was doing a work in my life when I stopped at an intersection one time. This guy came out in the crosswalk, and I don't have time to tell the whole story, but he was mad at me because I was in the, he was actually mad at the guy in front of me. He almost hit him. So I just happened to be there. So he reached out with his boot and kicked my brand new car and put a dent about that big in the rear quarter panel. And then was standing out there cussing at me and challenging me to a fight. Now my flesh wanted to get out and beat him into the ground. You ever tried picking up your teeth with a broken arm, right? I mean, I want, you know, there's a part of me that want, and I'm thinking, Lord, and the Lord just quickened my heart. That guy needs, pray for him. Pray for him. Don't be easily provoked. And I just drove away and I meant, Lord, you're doing a work in my life. Because if that happened five years ago, he'd be in the hospital and I'd be in jail, right? I mean, because, again, if God doesn't work in us, we're not easily provoked. We don't respond in anger. We don't overcome evil with evil. We overcome evil with good. Someone rips you off, whatever, right? That's so hard, isn't it? Don't you want to get even? Don't you want? But it's not love. Agape is not easily provoked. It says there, thinks no evil literally does not store up memory of the wrong that you have received. Can I encourage you? If someone's wronged you in the past, let it go. Amen? Ask God to help you forgive them and forget about it. I know people that are still talking about stuff that happened 10 years ago. Got it written down. I remember that day. That guy did this to me. There's actually some tribes in India where I was that had this stuff hanging from their ceiling. All these little... Nick, and I said, what is that about? Oh, these are all the people that have wronged me. So every day when I get up, I remember what they've done to me, and I don't forget. I'm like, well, that's, that'll work. That'll make, you'll be a, have a lot of joy doing that, right? Can you imagine if you did that, build a little monument around your house, every person who ever wronged you? You know, put their picture up, dartboard, or I don't know what you do. But you know what I mean? And you walk around just bummed out all the time, and the Lord tells us the exact opposite, that we think no evil. Love puts away the hurts of the past, instead of holding on to them. Verse 6, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. As believers, with agape, true love, we do not rejoice when trouble falls upon others. Again, even if it's a result of their own actions, even if it's because of something they did themselves, we still should be praying for them, encouraging them, and loving on them. And I want to say this, we don't rejoice in iniquity, and we're not entertained by it either. Let me just take a second to talk about this. If we are watching and being entertained by the very sins that Christ died for, how can we take God's money out of God's wallet that's in my back pocket in God's pants and go down to the movie theater and give them God's money and then sit down and watch them curse God? I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't understand how we can do that. Because it says that agape does not, what does it say there? Rejoice in iniquity does not rejoice in adultery, does not rejoice in fornication, does not rejoice in the things that we sit there and are entertained by, because you know what happens, guys? We watch it over and over and over. We become desensitized to sin. Do you remember the first time you heard about a drive-by shooting? Do you remember that? Remember how shocked you were by it? 
What happened? Somebody drove by and just shot into a house. You've got to be kidding me. Now we hear about it, what? Ten times a month? And now you, oh, another drive-by shooting. Why? Because we've been desensitized to sin. If we sit and allow ourselves to be entertained by the very sins that Christ died for, we're going to come to a point where it no longer has an impact on us. It says there rejoices in the truth. Again, the opposite of iniquity. Rejoices in virtue and piety and goodness. Rejoices when others do well and please God. It's the, and the ultimate truth is Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Verse 7, bears all things, believes... We're not going to finish the chapter. You guys are all looking at your watch and you're panicking. We're going to be all right, I promise. Verse 7, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Agape bears or covers all sins. The Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. It says bears all things, not just some things. Prays for the struggle of his brother, doesn't gossip about him. Let me say that again. You find out someone's struggling, pray for him. Don't run and tell everybody else about what, what he's struggling with. Did you hear about so-and-so? I just want to share it to you as a prayer request. You ever heard people do that? I just want to share this with you so you can pray for the brother. Did you hear what he's going through? Let me tell you. No, no, don't pray for him, amen? Bear all things. Don't share all things, amen? Bear it. Don't share it. It says there, believes all things. Isn't naive, but chooses to believe the best of others. Touts others' virtues, not their faults. Hopes all things. Doesn't give up on people. Has confidence in the future. You know what, as Christians, who's in control? God, you know, have you read the end of the Bible? We win. Amen? He's coming back. He's taking us to heaven. That's it. We win, right? And sometimes we look around and we get overwhelmed. Remember, you're ha-ha, heaven bound. As DC Talk would say, you're going. Your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And we should not be hopeless. We should be hopeful. We shouldn't be pessimistic. We should have joy. I wanted to get through the, the beginning of verse 8, and I want to share something with you. He endures all things. And then lastly, agape never fails. Let me close with this. I want you to look at these verses, starting in verse 4, and here's a spiritual maturity test for each one of us. Where it says love, put your name. And then read it, and if it's just comical, then we got some work to do. Amen? (laughs) If you're reading Dave Suffers Long, please. Right? (laughs) Dave suffers long and is a kind. Dave does not envy. Dave loves and does not parade himself. Dave's not puffed up. He does not behave, Dave does not behave rudely, does not seek his own, is not provoked. Dave thinks no evil. I wish these things were true. They're not. Dave does not rejoice in iniquity. Dave rejoices in truth. Dave bears all things. Dave believes all things. Dave hopes all things. Dave endures all things. Dave never fails. That's not true. But you know what? I believe that it shows us our desperate need for God when we read this list. I want to close with this, though. There's another name we can put in here. I heard you say it. Jesus' name. And when you read it with his name, how does it sound? Jesus suffers long and is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not parade himself. Jesus is not puffed up. Jesus does not behave rudely. Jesus does not seek his own. Jesus is not provoked. Jesus thinks no evil. Jesus does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Jesus never fails.
Amen? And praise God that when we stand before Almighty God on Judgment Day, it's Jesus who's standing there on our behalf. He's our intercessor. He's the one who paid the price for us that you and I might enter into eternal life. We'll pick up in verse 8 next week. But I want us to pray this week that God would help us to have agape love. Amen? That, our lo that we would do things from a loving heart, from a gracious heart, from a merciful heart. That we would love others outside of ourselves more than we love ourselves. That we would be self selfless, not selfish. That's impossible without the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we praise you. And we do pray that you would help us, Father, to learn from this example, this letter on agape love, that we can be men and women who have that agape love. Lord, we know it's impossible on our own efforts. It's only going to happen when we pursue you. We fall more in love with you. We spend more time in your presence. We seek your face. We spend time in your word. Lord, we know that's when that agape love will pour out of us. And Lord, I pray that we be men and women who love you with our whole hearts. We'd be a, an example to the world around us. That we would not be selfish, but we would be selfless. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.